a redemption arc, right? Like coming across him on the street, you know, broken, drinking out of a bottle, whatever, you know, seeing seeing the man broken and having Harry deal with that and also deal with the fact that, you know, he's done what he's done and he has to live with it and whatever is different than going on a crusade for this single man's soul, you know, unless there is a greater story to tell there. That's kind of the point. And, and since we're cold opening and like you think that I didn't notice, I would just like to say we're going to spoil some shit and we're going to swear in things. So, you know, just to get that out of there. So if you haven't read Battlegrounds, you should stop watching because that's what we're talking about. So. I don't know why you're listening to this podcast if you haven't if you're not caught up. <laughs> that would be a silly thing to do. But just in but case, you've been warned. So, you know, if you tip the machine, it may fall and crush you to death. That's what we're doing. We're the warning now. So, okay, now commence. I mean, we're not so, just spoiling the books that are out. <laughs> we're spoiling the books that are coming out in the near future because we're talking about speculation and what he said at DragonCon, which apparently has some uh, interesting things about the next couple books. I don't know I mean, if it counts as spoilers. We don't ha- we don't know anything that yeah, we, anybody. We don't know anything. Our speculations are not spoilers. <laughs> well, when he says something, you'll find this out in that book. That sounds more spoilery it's, than just it's not... mild spoilery, I guess. Yeah. You know, but but it's like a, a like a two or a three out of ten on the spoiler sure. index. It's not like I'm violating NDA and be like, "Whoa, guys, wait till you find out what happens to Murphy." Spoilers. <clears throat> so, <laughs> what? What they ha- they hold a big fortieth birthday party for? That's not a huge thing, right? Uh, he gets to try out that T Rex spell again with the the giant singing and everything. Yeah, sure. Yes, right, and yeah. many more. Yeah. So we um, also have to do the guest thing. Yes, right? we'll do that. Ray, you are a patron of past several months. I should have looked up a date, but you've been very fun in our discord we've enjoyed having you and because you're at dragon con and we're talking about jim at dragon con i thought this was the great time to interrupt your very busy weekend to ask you to please make time for us to talk about what butcher said so i'm also schlepping around with uh michael z williamson fun. an author i read works for he writes for a different press you won't see him but uh but yeah so i had to run around for him today so my schedule isn't as, as full as it's been the other days. <laughs> All right. Well, we do have a tradition for guests. Uh, would you please tell us your favorite three Dresden books and your favorite Dresden character? Uh, the favorite three Dresden books. Hmm. I got to think, which one's cut the biggest piece of my heart out? Um, <laughs> I think I'm going to start in ascending order with uh, Summer Night Changes and Cold Days because Summer Night is where the plug gets pulled out of the bathtub and the little whirly vortex starts at the drain and Changes is where Harry goes down that drain and you think, wow, things have just gotten as bad as they can be and then in Ghost Story, things get better. Harry comes back to life. And then in Cold Days, everything follows. And you realize there's a zone of total destruction around Harry, and all the people that are in it are going to pay the price. Very fun. Who's your favorite character? 
there's so many good ones, but I'm going to go with Michael because Michael is a breath of fresh air. You've been under this complete bombardment. You're emotionally invested. Harry's, I mean, the first few books were Harry ramming his face into other people's fists until he won. You know, he was just ground to a hamburger by the end of the book. And then Michael comes along, and every time Michael's on scene, you just get this feeling things are going to be okay. Something's, it's going to work out somehow. And just because he stopped being a knight, that doesn't end. Every time Michael's on scene, it is a breath of fresh air. The pressure goes down remarkably. Sounds good. All right. Uh, to start with some of the stuff that we found out from, um, let's say, Sleepy La Reef, who posted a bunch of stuff to the subreddit. Uh, thank you very much for that. Um, let's say the Cinder Spires book is 40% done. Jim is thinking that should be done by his birthday, which is at the end of October. And then that the next Dresden book will be done by January. That is incredibly fast. Yeah, is that that that's this January, January twenty twenty two? I assume right? so. Yeah. Well, that's that's why I'm asking the guy who was in the room <laughs> because I kind of assumed that we missed a detail where he's like next January or something like that. I mean, that's one word, but a big difference, you know. So, unless he wore the next Dresden novel, he'd better have Clark Kent's typing speed to do. Yeah, hundred thousand words in. Four months, three months. Right. I mean, I, I just want to say for the record, I'm excited about this. I'm hopeful about this. And I'm not for a moment delusional to take the bait. Like, it took him three years to do Peace Talks and Battlegrounds. Now, they may be orders of magnitude more complex, but I'm not going to get my hopes up that he's going to turn around a Dresden Files book in basically two months. Like, yeah, that that's my only thing, right? Like, I'm just trying to be realistic so I don't get set up to get shut down later my heart can't take it <laughs> yeah I would, say that. I would say that's a very optimistic estimate for, estimate from jim uh and i wouldn't i wouldn't take that one to the bank guys if i if mean it's, it's possible he's got it outlined and it's possible he pretty much knows exactly what's going to happen right but that's also the kind of problems you have with futurism and predicting shit anyways it's like you know, there's still plenty enough time that he's going to stumble upon some plot point or some other thing that he's like, shit, how do I write around this? But hey, man, I'd, I'd be happy for that. Two books, two books in a year is great, you know. Mm. Um, but uh, I mean, I would love like, yeah, like I said, I'm yeah, I'm definitely not putting it on my calendar just yet. <laughs> so um, yeah. I'm actually super excited about the next uh, Cinder Spires. Yes. Hmm. Let's see. Maybe maybe he just got maybe he just like send a PM to good old buddy Sanderson. I was like, yo, can I like hire you for like a book? Like, here's the outline. Can you just like <laughs> I need to put it out? Clones. Yeah. 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 Well, my inner Dresden heroine fiend needs its ne next fix. But oh yeah, for sure. I mean, if it's if it's a matter of desire, then the, yes, the book is absolutely coming by January, right? But <laughs> so so what I have learned in the past was that like patience. Yes, but um, remember Jim answering before that he could generally write a book in about six months. A book. Several years ago is what he said. Okay, that that's a decent timeline. That's actually really good uh, progress for most writers, but like three, three months is insane. So it, it either 12 months is going to be a lot shorter than the past books have been, 
a lot less complicated, which is very possible, or he's got it already half done for some reason. And maybe he does, right. as he was like trying to work out certain things. Maybe he was working it out enough into 12 months to be able to figure it out. And is it even going to be called 12 months anymore? We don't know. Did you say yeah, what? 12 days fiction, or what's, what's the word? Faux marriage with Laura was going to be less complicated? <laughs> well, there's <laughs> that, but yeah, but but towards towards director's comments as well. Like it's it's possible he had like enough shit left over from peace talks, right? Because basically this this whole book generates out of uh, you know the decisions and side conversations he had with like you know with whatever's going on with Laura, with what's been going on with about the Starborn thing. Possibly, I'm still voting for his training montage with uh, River Shoulders. You know, so like some of those things, like we. I feel like we know what to expect. Doesn't mean that's going to be what we get, but we we could write twelve months practically with all the loose threads we're going to get. The problem is like you know all the twists and all the other intrigue and shit that he's going to certainly add to it. You know, he's certainly not going down to the local steakhouse with Laura and just be like, "So, what's your favorite color?" You know, like even if it starts out that way, somebody's going to try to whack them because it's who they are. You know, and Laura. it's the universe that we're in. You know, I think yeah. Laura, yeah, right? she just needs to know that he's strong enough to protect her, right? So she's got this <laughs> twisted courtship ritual where it's like, so it's not twelve dates so much as twelve assassins, and you need to survive them all. You know, like oh, so it's like his rehabilitation of maps. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. No, it's Scott Pilgrim. <laughs> also that yes I'm, I'm glad you picked up the threads there yeah so well the, the wrap up to battleground took six months that's true we had uh, a few weeks after the summer solstice we had the the final meeting with marcone at the castle where ethnew had installed the new skylight um then we had to see harry and molly going to the carpenters for sunday dinner Right. And then we had Christmas Eve. So spoilers, we know who survived that long, you know. So who dies in the second half of the year? <laughs> well, uh, more to the point, the summer solstice of the next book listens to when promised to reveal what Starborn means. Right. I mean, I'm totally on Team Harry with this one. The the White Council has been entirely too secretive with Harry. Yeah, you know, but now they can be even more secretive because they kicked him out. Not wrong. He's not even out of line. But yeah, you know, how much of this knowledge should have Harry been forearmed with? Why isn't he asking Bob? <laughs> right. Yeah. Why isn't he yeah. asking Bonilla? I mean, to well, be fair, we all love Harry, but Harry is an idiot. So the less that he knows about things is probably safer, you know. Like, but but it is a good point. He really should be asking Bob, and like now, all of a sudden, he has the 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 wisdom to ask the fucking question that has been dangled in front of him for several books in a row. And he asked the people who refuse to tell him anything and have refused to tell him anything since he's known them, but he won't ask Bob. That is an odd thing. Right. And speaking does, of Bob... What does Bob know anyway? Really? Remember when he was in the mother's hut and the, and the shelf fell over and Mother Summer said that it was not that appointed one's time to be born yet? 
That's why he doesn't have the answer. It is not the appointed time for this uh, <laughs> revelation to come. Plot. Yes. Mm. Facts. Right. So, uh, speaking of Bob, I want to bring up the point that Jim says that Bob gets to stay with Harry. And maybe not in so many words, but um, he's also working on a novella called The Law of Harry doing totally mundane PI work until the mob breaks the rules of the no powers or something or other. And Bob is back in the they saddle. Have, they have that rule? There it's was a rule, reports. and then there was there was not, apparently. So, I don't know. Marcones increased his power in the Accorded Nations. So, Harry, as a representative of Winter, and with ties to the white court, won't be able to intervene with Marcon's people. I, They're Marcon's vassals. I don't know if I would assume that Marcon is the mob in this question. It might be, but there are other mobs, and Marcon doesn't want to be on the other side of the Chicago, and Marcon didn't kill him. They're Maybe they're trying to squeeze in. And that went well the last time they tried that. Right, and it's going to go great for them this time, I'm sure. But. Well, let's face it, his scope has also increased to the point where you could see local street level or uh, city level people that are thinking, well, he's not really going to pay attention to us now necessarily. Maybe we can carve mm -hmm. out something. Yeah. Hmm. Um, well, this is would be analogous in the Never Never with the Wild Fae. The winter court has its ballpark. The summer court has its uh, domain. And then the wild fae are out there. And do they occasionally intrude in onto winter? Doesn't seem like a really life extending action, but I'm sure it happens. Until you get into a love triangle with queens. If they're not a part of the accord, actually, I mean, we have a solid example. If they're not part of the accord and you go after them, you owe them a wear guilt. Even if they are, you owe wear guilt. Well, not if they come after you first. <laughs> then you're required to respond. Uh, I'm gonna. So Maggie's story is growing and not planned out. So even though we know that she's going to magic school. Uh, or maybe he's talking about whatever power she may or may not have that he's refusing to um, confirm. That'll uh, be interesting to see more, but apparently he doesn't know much of it, so he's not going to tell us much. Uh, I thought he had said elsewhere with a father who's a magical thug and a red court mother, something is going to be different about her. I mean, certainly... But whether it's going to be magical powers versus she just understands everything and can handle herself in a panic, I don't know. Mm. And she's got mouse. So, I mean, she's already pretty different that way. She has a dog she can ride like a horse. She has the goodest of boys. <laughs> so what happened to Chandler? as we've been asking him for months. Oh, oh, spoiler, spoiler, spoilers. You won't oh, know until mirror, mirror. What the oh. fuck does that mean? 
Well, obviously, wherever Harry's going to go, Chandler's already there. That's the way I interpret it. Right. Yeah. What was Chandler's magic again? Mean the Time. Usually. Yeah. Divination, essentially. Mm. Motherfucker fucking uh, dimension skipped. And and divination what? and earth magic. He. So, he yeah, because apparently everybody's got earth magic. Except Harry. Although he has used it in the past. No, Does Harry's got that? Harry can do earth magic. He. Does that mean that the portal that Chandler fell through was ripped into another dimension? Or was that like, is he going to fall into another dimension accidentally after trying to get out of whatever portal Dracul put him in? I mean, if anybody is Dracul the reason that, that, that Harry gets kicked over in any way? It's also possible. Well, not according to Word of Jim, though, right? You know, so because Harry is stealing other Harrys to right. try to fake his death. But yeah, it. I mean, it doesn't. It doesn't even have to be a complete story for Chandler, right? What if uh, Dracul put him in the void between the multiverses, and then Chandler had to find his way in there? And you know, you're gonna find a, a ruined, decrepit Chandler and be like, "You don't know the shit that I've seen in the last year, Harry." You know, so I really need a right. good cup of tea. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> you haven't had any of that, there, Earl Grey. I know it looks like our our universe, but you would not believe that the flavor of tea is different here. <laughs> it's all Lipton. <laughs> oh boy! Uh, fun. Yeah. Well, the, I mean, I'd like to see in Mirror Mirror that uh, when he's dropped into that alternate universe, he loses his connection to Winter. Right. Because it's not his Winter. They may very well be another Winter Night. In that universe, very possible. But That's, I also want to see yeah. Mab like bullying him around in all forms. <laughs> right. I mean that that might be our that might be our surest example. Like we we have argued and speculated about this before, right? Because you know, is he bringing is he bringing the mantle with him, and how does that work? Does the mantle just like you know? Sorry for a, a little bit of a nerd computer talk here, but does it reconnect? to other maps Wi-Fi, so to speak, you know, in the, in the sense that it's like, well, the SSIDs are the same. See, now I'm getting too nerdy. But anyway, so <laughs> I'm talking to my audience. It may not be you guys at home, but, uh, <laughs> but yeah. So anyway, so like, does it reconnect there? Does, is there now two winter nights? Because this alternate universe is going to have to have a winter night. It's a key part of the balance. So oh, what we, happens to that, you know, so. We know the separation point. Right. Well, yes, but I'm just saying, like, regardless of all that, regardless of what happens, there are going to be two winter nights one way or another. Harry's already said that basically Matt, or sorry, Jim has already said that basically Mad, like, in the other universe is going to be like, well, you work for me there means you work for me here type of thing. But also, like, if he loses the mantle, it seems like we're definitively going to get the answer finally to is Harry going to be able to walk or not? Spoiler alert, of course he is, because it's not going to be a very exciting book if he's pushing himself around in a wheelchair. I And I don't mean that. I know that that like sounds offensive and shit, but like he, as we talked about in the pre-show, he's going to last about 30 seconds once the monsters realize that he can't defend himself, right? Like, that's what I'm talking about. Like, he's not going to be able to do anything. Uh, what know? if he doesn't have the mantle, he goes into the other dimension, and he is helpless, he summons Mab and says, I'm your knight in the other dimension. Fucking help me. Yeah, maybe. Okay. 
Yeah. Because that would, if he out or like pressures Mab into doing something to help him of, of like, I don't know, that would be fun to see him bully her in return. That would be pretty fun. And it could kind of technically kind of fly, right? Like she is obligated to help her knight in that way to like even if it's from she would probably see it just like the way you like the way Gemma said you work for me over there you work for me here so right. she would also Therefore, see it like she has the obligation you're, you're obligated I'm obligated to you over there so I'm obligated here yeah well, yeah that could be fun I I like Harry lipping off I like that uh, Jim said that he's he misses Harry being so uh, smack talking as he was before but unfortunately for us Harry has learned that. Some of these big creatures are very powerful and do deserve respect, but he needs to go back to smack talk. So he needs to. He had a knock knock joke in the last book to something that could have flattened him with a look. I think. Eight hundred pound gorilla. Yeah, and there was the the argument. I'll say with Map at the end, but there could be more. It was very fun when there was there, so it should be more. (laughs) Um, What about the warden in the other universe? Right. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, yeah, it, if you're talking about like Demon Reach, I mean, Demon Reach didn't have a warden for you know decades at a minimum anyway. So you know, it it's not it's not ne- necessary per se. It may be that whatever was going to happen, you know, with Nemesis already happened. Right. That was one of the things we were working through in the speculation. I don't think we've even made it that far yet. Right. We keep winding up around proven guilty, and then you know, running out of time, but, um, but like with winter and with stuff like that, it's literally the balance of the universe more or less for their, for their little universe. So like the mantles are going to have to be claimed. The warden thing is kind of its own, you know, side stick. So, but I think it's, I think it's very possible that like either in, in this universe, like one of the main theories is something had to feel, fill Harry's void, right? Somebody had to fill the void. Otherwise, there's about six other apocalypses that would have happened in the meantime before we get up to current time, right? We know the time frame is accelerated, so they're not winning per se, but they are at least delaying it. But that means that the Dark Hollow shouldn't have happened. That means that, you know, Demon Reach exploding shouldn't have happened. Like all of these things are pretty much world-ending events that would have somehow needed to have been thwarted or diverted, right? Um, You know, so those are big deals, but, you know, at least it seems like having the mantles, like that's kind of like the wheels of the, of the planet come off. You know, <laughs> like at that well, point, you know, the red court war should still be going on. No, it should be over. In my opinion. I think, I think the red court will have won. I think that they would have beaten the white council at Sicily if it even made it that far. So, because the, the time frame uh, leading up to that, right? Like it, it's pretty much assumed that the red court was going to maneuver themselves into a war eventually anyway, but that Harry triggered it before the red court was ready and therefore drew it out to mostly a draw, which means that if it doesn't get triggered early, they've got more time to prepare. And when they do finally come for the white council, possibly with Harry helping them, you know, then, like, I, I just don't, like, I think the White Council may survive the initial stroke, but, like, it's going to be a delaying action until, you know, there's nothing left. Like, I, I just don't see them being any help in the other universe because, they, like, you're going to have, like, the Senior Council, half of them have survived and are running around underground, in my opinion. 
like you're going to see gorilla fighter Ebenezer and how dangerous that is, you know, like, but. Well, I think mirror mirror has the potential to show us how dangerous and powerful free will actually is. Right. If Harry didn't make the choices he made, what was it? Grave peril. Right. Then things would have gone terribly bad. Because Harry is one of those keystone characters for, by being a starborn that has a greater impact. Their actions have a greater impact than mundane humans. But he's a fulcrum. Yeah. Protagonists just make everything difficult. <laughs> I do like I do like the idea that the the, the way Jim has introduced chosen one starborn kind of like almost a to use a, a game term, a mechanic, right? That like okay, he's a, he is a main character. It is an actual thing in the universe. There are starborns because sometimes it gets a little ludicrous with main characters, right? Like that, 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 that it kind of explains that a little bit of that suspension of disbelief you gotta have when you read stories or like, watch stories. And I just think that's a neat detail to to have in the world. Hmm. Well, and I think the the main part that kind of differentiates Harry in that regard is the is the fact that like Harry didn't have a Hagrid or somebody show up to him one day and be like, "You're the chosen one," and he's like, "No, I ain't. I'm a what?" You know, and Harry has no fucking clue. Like he's well into his forties. He's been doing the chosen one thing, but he has no idea what that means, right? And so, like, Harry doesn't necessarily think that he's anything special other than, yeah, okay, maybe I'm in the, like, top third of, like, wizards or whatever, right? But that doesn't make him the chosen one. You know, there are m many more other powerful guys, right? Whereas, like, think about every other kind of chosen one story. Like, they are the best at something, right? You, you're inexplicably the best at kung fu or you're inexplicably the best at you know, not being corrupted by the one ring or whatever, you know, like there, there's just something like that. For me, Harry's always been, he's been the most stubborn and you wouldn't think that's a, that's a superpower, but you know. Apparently it is. <laughs> yeah. Well, it literally is because he can't get corrupted by Nemesis because he's a star right. one. Right. And I, and I like how that instead of just being some kind of nebulous incorruptible, right. And him being like semi naive as a result or something like that. It's, no, I'm just stubborn. Like, I can't be corrupted, not because it can't offer me money or it can't offer me love or it can't offer me the, the normal, you know, failings of man. It's just because you're the bad guy and I'm the good guy and fuck you. That's why, you know, like, yeah. <laughs> because if I do that, then I'd be the bad guy and I can't <laughs> be that. So, Well, I mean, Harry always offered the aegis of what protection he could offer to people around him. And some of those people he would choose to say, no, this guy's a shit heel. You know, he's a bad guy. He doesn't deserve my protection. But yet at the same time, if a chlorophene shows up and he's going after like Hellhound, Hendrix, do you really think Harry would have just stood by and say, okay, that's a you problem. You know, good luck. Yeah, that's impossible for him. It really is. And as his power increased, his obligation to fulfill the office he selected for himself has increased. He's got a further, he's got a longer reach now. When he became a warden, even though he hated it because he hated the wardens, 
justifiably for how he was treated by them and the white council. But he still did the job because he was protecting people that couldn't protect themselves. That's why he still got a hard-on against the ghouls for what went down at Camp Kaboom. Another, I mean, that should almost just have been a short story, but like, it feels like a short story, but it's like in a book, actually. <laughs> right. Well, I think it was a setup. Here it is. This tells you why. Mm-hmm. It's it's definitely important to his character, and I'm glad that we got a little bit more of that with him dealing with, um, you know, dealing with them in peace talks, battlegrounds, and then a little bit with Ebenezer calling him out on it and be like, you know, if, if you don't understand why I hate white court vampires so much, ask yourself the same question about ghouls, you know, or or whatever. Or was it Harry realizing on his own? But Both. you know, yeah. It's it just it it's a good moment, you know. It's it's character, like it's it's important for him to understand. And you know, we discussed briefly in the pre-show, like the morality of of how it comes to like dealing with monsters is not necessarily going to it, it directly extrapolate from what we would do treating other tribes of our own species, right? You know, like these guys eat kids, these guys eat people, these guys eat whatever. Like very easy to hate them. You know, white court, uh, you know, it's it's tough, right? But it's it, I feel like I feel like it follows the kind of thread where you get with like, but what about like Lestat or what about like sparkly vampires or whatever? But like they're just so beautiful. How could you hate them and want to destroy them? They eat people, it's pretty easy. You know, that's my answer. So <laughs> you know, like, no, there is not a single time, especially in these situations where Jim has had a chance to set something up when he has not taken the opportunity of punting us all in our jimmies. <laughs> Harry could meet... We don't know what the ghoul's life cycle is. We know they're, they're born into it. It's a family. What happens if he, if it's something like a white court vampire where their nature manifests at puberty and he has right. an opportunity. He doesn't know it, but he meets a ghoul child. I mean, it would be daughter- interesting to explore like a, a toddler ghoul of like is if the toddler is going to suffer and die unless you feed it a human, but it's a child. I, that is a problem that I would find really fun to uh, play with. And I, I wish right. that they would. Probably wouldn't, but but it would be fun. I think so. I mean, if you want to get a little deeper into the lore, you know, it's important to keep in mind that ghouls don't have to eat living humans. They just seem to have a preference for it, right? So, like, yes, you know, that that child may need human flesh for whatever stupid reason because we're going to explore this. But, you know, like, I got to imagine it's going to be a whole lot easier if you don't try to feed that, you know, ghoul child a, an adult male, you know, or whatever who's going to try to fight them, right? That's not a very equitable situation for a predator, right? So one way or another, they're going to feed it something that is a whole lot easier to deal with, right? Just I'm trying to extrapolate and make this less gross by talking about more normal like predator interactions, right? You don't you don't have your kittens go hunt, you know, with, with the lions and the pride and whatever. Um oh, you bring it a human baby. Yeah, makes right. It all yeah. Better. I mean maybe, but yeah, so but but you know, just kind of getting to the point that like ghouls normally are carrion feeders, right? And so they they're kind of escalated a little bit to be more like predators in this case, 
um, you know, in the Dresden Files specifically, a little bit from D&D, whatever, it goes back a ways, but um, it doesn't have to be, right? Whereas like white court vampires, like, I guess we've been shown that they could feed on emotions other than lust and they don't necessarily have to kill, but that's where these choices become important as well, right? I'm not necessarily saying like, okay, let's go full on, uh, you know, genocide and wipe out the red court vampire, wipe out the white court vampire because they fed on humans at one point in time or whatever, right? But like certainly individual oh. choices matter, you know, every one of them is a killer. You know, all of the Red Court vampires literally could only become full-blooded because they killed another human. The White Court vampires, you know, they basically get their demon jump-started because they had their first feeding, usually in their teens, and it's usually fatal, right? So, like, you know, from a general sense, you've got that. But, I, hey, I'm okay. Let's let's deal with everything. Like, I, Anari obviously is an innocent, you know. If, if she feeds while she's in love and it kills her demon, then all, all the better, right? Um, but, you know, like, people like to get into some of these moralities. I just, I draw that hard line. Like I said, I don't got a problem borrowing from Fallout, if you're familiar with it. I don't got a problem with all ghouls. I got a problem with feral ghouls and the fact that you might turn feral at a moment's notice. That's what I got a problem with, right? Well, so, Riffing on what uh, Director Alex and Justin has just said, uh, you know, you don't send the baby ghoul to fight a human male to get its human flesh. You might feed a carrion or taking a page from nature, predators, when they return to a den with their kits or pups, regurgitate meat yeah. for their, their offspring. Yeah. See, now we're getting kind of gross that, you know. <laughs> hold on, hold on. Let me, let me oh, there's finish. more. <laughs> let me finish. So if Harry already knows about this ghoul toddler, then sees mama or dad come home and yak up some human flesh for the ghoul child, <laughs> then he's got to look at it as saying, well, they're, they may be killing, but they're killing to save their offspring. Mm -hmm. And who's the, who's the villain here? We we haven't gone gross enough, so it's it's better. Harry finds the toddler in the classic, you know, the classic trope twist by now because Harry just got done hunting mom and dad, and now right. Harry has to chew and regurgitate because hopefully you know, butter still got that job in the morgue. <laughs> right. Yeah. Sorry, you don't get to have a funeral for grandma. She's been eaten by a baby. Well, after she or was run over by a reindeer, it just let's not <laughs> waste it. So, no Pringles point. involved in this. Too? <laughs> yeah. it's you have no idea how deep this conspiracy goes. <laughs> oh my! Oh, Open the next door, and Uriel standing there. Wait, the reindeer? Are you sure it wasn't uh, Eldest Gruff? <laughs> I mean, shit. If you want to talk about genocide, no, like, Uriel's hands aren't clean either. So, prove it. That I don't eat people. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm not, I don't have, uh, what is it, prion disease that you get? You get the shakes if you start eating people after a it's while? It's not guaranteed. That's a cool. Alex yeah. knows way more about that. Yeah, I was going to say, how about you prove you don't eat people? <laughs> that, that, that disease is called Kuru, and it only happens if you eat the brain, spinal cord, and eyes. See, well, exactly. Those are the best parts. Or so I've been told. <laughs> I'll, I'll take. Stupid things that only Ray knows for 500, Alex. <laughs> 
It, it, it isn't, but it sounds like maybe you've done a little bit too much research in being safe while eating human flesh in this regard. I mean, that's what I've heard. That's what I've heard. <laughs> heard. So we all know the only person here who eats human flesh is Andreas because he lives in a socialist society and he has to scavenge for Oh, wow. Come yeah. on. Andreas, do you got both your thumbs? I'm asking for a friend. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> we good. Okay. For now. Uh, topic change, whatever. Uh, Thomas <laughs> was entirely manipulated by Justine. His actions were forced by her in peace talks. And we should get to see some of that in the next book as we can't leave him down in demon reach forever. So we yeah, can see something. It's going to be date seven. You know, let's go investigate my brother's attempted war crimes, you know. Or, yeah. So like but I like when we ask Butcher, when do we get to have Thomas back? And he says, big of you to think that you get him back. And I was like, okay, we can't leave him down there forever. Right. Get him back I, I feel like he didn't know at the time, right? And so then he then he's probably had discussions and, and played out some thoughts and be like, fine, <laughs> I'll bring him back. Well, you know? If you need him to be more lippy, then like bring back Thomas because he had the best Mac talk. I mean, I would personally prefer if he stays down there at least for a book or two, especially with the quick turnaround he had at the end of Turncoat and then was like finding changes, even though he was a wreck. It's just, he needs a little bit of consequence to what happened to him. He can be recovering for a while longer than he is in a crystal. Well, in Peace Talks, when he went into the crystal, he had to relive all the suffering he caused. So he relived his first kill, which probably happened when at puberty, and then everyone ever since. Yeah. Actually, that would be pretty cool is if Harry accidentally turned him into a monster because he has to desensitize himself to all this being in the crystal. Mm. Oops. <laughs> but he's alive, yay. Well, yeah. the, the more peaceful alternative or the more happy alternative for Thomas is uh, Leah. Amarakis. Leah, well, that's not going to happen. <laughs> Leah put Susan's demon to sleep. Harry could bargain for that power or that knowledge and put Thomas's demon to sleep. I am all for Leah being more involved. <laughs> I am also very curious. What would it cost them to bargain for that? Maggie has to go see Susan's grave, which is in Leah's garden. The opportunity is going to happen. Yeah, that would be good. And they better do that in 12 months or whatever they're going to call it. Be considering it's the book of recovery from people dying, they also should go see the grave of Susan. She doesn't deserve a visit. The little well, girl doesn't get to see her mommy. Yeah. Even though we talked about it in the pre-show about Harry killing Susan after her one human kill. You want to take it the uh, flip that around. Susan murdered that person knowing she would be the sacrifice that allowed the blood curse or the bloodline curse to go off aimed at the red court. Yep, I mean, it's mostly a joke, but I kind of feel about Susan, how E.T. feels about Butters. I don't particularly like her character. Oh, no, there's plenty of 
room there for the lemon juice in the cut. Because if Harry has that ability later, you think Jim's going to waste the opportunity to make Harry ponder about the fact that he could have known this earlier if he bargained earlier for that knowledge? Probably not. I mean, I, 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 I if there's a chance to, to hurt Harry, right. I mean, Jim's probably going to take it. <laughs> exactly. Whatever happens has to be the thing that's calculated to hurt Harry the most. Yeah. Um, kind of and on the topic of... Extension. Kind of on the topic of the Red Court, someone asked about the Merlin. What was the Merlin's plan to get rid of the Red Court root and branch? And the answer is apparently he was going to let Dresden loose on them. It works. I mean, still a lot of questions, though, right? Yeah, because exactly. That, that does kind of imply that Langtree knew exactly what the fuck was going on. Uh, you know, because that he he knew that he knew about the bloodline curse. He knew about whatever. Or or he had so much faith in Harry's abilities that Harry was going to spend the rest of his natural life hunting them down for vengeance. You know, and it basically just be a general pain in the ass. But you know, if he's talking about root and branch, makes it seem very much that he mm -hmm. knew about the bloodline curse and that he was just, he either was confident that Harry was going to be able to pull it off somehow, or I just, I don't know, man. Like, it's subtle and whatever. Like, that's a really big fucking gamble, in my opinion, you know? Yeah, so and it's possible that he knew about the ritual that they were setting up in Tichinitsa. And maybe he didn't even know the target. Or he knew the target. He knew that they had the little girl and how it was going to connect to Harry. And how maybe even how it was going to connect to um, Ebenezer. I think that one would be a bit more obvious for the Merlin to figure out if he hadn't already that Harry was Ebenezer's grandson. But if he knows this, it's important. If he doesn't know it, then I hope he gets an unpleasant reveal. Well, Morgan knew about Harry potentially being a destroyer. If Morgan knew, Langtree had to know. It's a good point. Right? We don't know what that means, but it could mean that everyone he goes up against winds up being referred to in the past tense. <laughs> right. Which is kind of important that they have that knowledge, and if you're right, then they just kicked him out. <laughs> you know, so like... Under the Accords, there is too much baggage to have a destroyer as part of your political faction. You put him out on his own after he's reached a sufficient level of power where he can protect himself, and you just let him go. Go do your thing. We're going to try and stay out of your way. Carlos, don't mess with him, even if he does break the rules. The laws of magic, yeah, they don't really apply to him. Well, we're going to pretend they threatened him anyway. So. Yeah. So... They haven't told Carlos not to mess with him yet because he was the one saying abide by the rules or else uh, if he if Harry becomes the Black Staff and the laws of magic don't actually apply to him, that would be very fun. But that might mean Ebenezer needs to die. It would also need to be a part of the council again to be the Black Staff. Politically. I don't know. Not necessarily. He just has to, he's got the object that doesn't bind him to the council personally. Well, in word of Jim, Jim has said the Black Staff chooses the next the successor. Yeah. I don't that, think they said that the Black Staff chooses his next successor. No, it's not the staff itself, it is the person. 
Yeah. I mean, either way, I do like the idea that Ebenezer probably would still give it to Harry and Harry's not on the council because now that would just cheese off Langtree exactly. even much, even that much more. It would but, piss them off so much. That's what I want. Yeah. I'm also, I've also got it in the back of my head though. Like which continent are we not very attached to so that when Ebenezer dies and his curse goes off that we don't have to worry about it. So I guess the next fight's going to be in Australia. Are there any volcanoes there? Because there's about to be. In <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> uh, the anti-bear continent. That's the one we want. Yeah. Oh, God. I'm too much of a nerd to have this conversation. Because I was just like, what if he does the whole... Um, uh, like doomsday machine from star trek and he like sacrifices himself in the kaiju to try and bring it down but then it doesn't work so you know anyway yeah see too much of a nerd that's really really old star trek sci-fi for some of you kids like ray probably saw it you know when it came out but uh <laughs> <laughs> had to get that in reruns okay yeah, <laughs> what yeah the week doing? after reruns but they were reruns <laughs> Right. <laughs> no, they were reruns before they digitally remastered. Oh yeah, Doomsday Machine's way prettier now. <laughs> so, so here's my question: Let's throw some D and D in there. What happens if Ebenezer lets the kaiju swallow him and he breaks the black staff inside? <laughs> you have right. Yeah. As a as a wielder of the staff or magi or two, I get that reference. So yeah. Nerds. Never gotten to that yeah. high level in D and D. Oh, dude, it's <laughs> it's fun. <laughs> so it's broken. The, That's what it is. The last the last two sessions that I played, I burned through many of the charges of that staff and didn't even get to my prepared spells. And then the DM's like, "That was probably a pretty tough fight." And I'm like, "Sure, boss." <laughs> so <laughs> he doesn't watch, so I can taunt him now behind his back. But anyway, <laughs> so. There was a question about the Nephilim, Nephilim, I, I don't, um, the angels' children. They do exist, and we will see them. We have met at least one. Now, that is an interesting one, because my thoughts were racing when he said that, because I'm thinking, who? Who yeah. do we see? And we, you know, the chatter on the, the internet has pretty much ruled out uh, Mac as a Nephilim. Because right, he's a Gregory, right? That's the the assumption, but we haven't had that confirmed yet. So all we, we know have the unreliable narrator thing, right? That kind of confirming he is an, an angel. Well, he's an angelic entity. Whether or not he's specifically a Gregory is, or if he would have been, you know, if he's a Nephilim, but he's the son or daughter. Uh, if he's the son of a Gregory, for instance, you know, that could fulfill both of those. Did you just assume Mac's gender? Uh, listen, he, he's, he's Mac. He doesn't have a gender. Right. Although, theoretically, that was, angels. that was the original War in Heaven. Did you just assume my gender? No, sorry. Anyway. Um, yeah, I like who who would it be? I mean, I mean jokingly, I was going to ask, like, did we meet Mac's kid? <laughs> you know, but, but, um, yeah, I don't know. Uh, like, do you do you follow down the the normal tropes? Like, is this person gonna have you know be super pretty and just all of that stuff and whatever? Like, I guess. I mean, one of the only scions that comes back and just to stir the pot a little bit. Like, you know, we've 
we've all been talking about Kincaid is the scion of something for a while, right? So, but that uh, is a pretty ugly fucking Nephilim if it's him. Well, yeah, but I mean, you know, you know the arguments. Like, what if it was Mavra standing behind him when he used the sight or whatever? But well, and, yeah, I mean, he but... goes by Hellhound instead, right? So, <laughs> right, there's but... that. I mean, most of that image was him. It was just the the shadow. Maybe was him. I don't think her shadow like cast upon a, a Nephilim and was like, "I'm gonna make you look like a demon in somebody's sight now." Right. It just it seems uh, improbable. Yeah, a group of mysterious fits. beings of people of unusually large size and strength. So, right, because the giants, right, theoretically, like Goliath mm -hmm. and all that. What about Fitz, though? Nah. Eh, who cares? Yeah, I, just, like, I was going to poke him with Fitz earlier, but well, like, now the, it just doesn't, the, it doesn't fit. The kid that can Absolutely. hear dead people <laughs> and then gets uh, hooked up with Fort Hills just seems kind of like right for a kid of an angel that might be in the right time and place. I don't know. Just seemed like of other characters who aren't Mac, he was the only one who seemed more probable. I don't know. I mean, the problem, if you want to call it one is I, I have to imagine that Nephilim are kind of the same, um, in the same vein that would get an angel in trouble as being a fallen. Like, I don't think you, an angel can just make that choice to, to have a, relationship with a human unless they're prepared to not be an angel anymore fall is that the other thing um i mean you know take it what you want for it biblically but those were always big no-nos um that's partly why the gregory got in trouble but i, I feel like it's just, just going to be an older person somebody who's already established rather than fitz who's like 17 19 whatever he was we're we're assuming Nephilim have power, kind of from level yeah. to interact in the supernatural world. What if they're just long lived or and otherwise mundane? What if the Nephilim we've met is Bach? <laughs> yeah, I mean, they. I would assume that they, at the very least, they would be hardy, right? But it, yeah, it, it just it kind of depends because. The well, way it's probably like most scions and changelings, if you make the choice, then you essentially become that element. So you're going to have something. You're, you're not really going to be human in any meaningful way at that point. Right. And that that's exactly what I was going to bring up, right? Is like, if we look at a lot of the scions, if we look at the wild fake kids and all of those things that we've run across before, they didn't necessarily have any powers because they didn't have any powers until they made a choice, until they accepted the burden in some way or something like that, right? So you might be right that, you know, it could just be some, you know, some random mundane person we've run across or whatever, but, you know, it depends on if they've, if they've accepted, you know, that nature or picked a side, so to speak, or whatever. So. If they accepted their Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I know who the Nephilim is. It's going to be the uh, dude no, who told Harry to piss off. Yeah, I know, I was, I was thinking... A, a giant, it, it definitely would fit Rashid. So it does kind of. But uh, so, this, I mean, this is a little bit my ignorance. I've been trying to do some really quick ad hoc research on the side. But does a Nephilim have to be descendant of like an angel angel? Or do we go all the way back to the fact that demons are technically just fallen angels? And that's where I'm like, what if, what if we're not in the right category, right? What if it's one of the bad guys, you know, had a kid? Go. 
and and I was just trying to see if if there was a name for that versus Nephilim, right? Because Nephilim is think, the child um, of a rogue angel in theory, but yeah, I think uh, well, I mean, if we're classifying them as demons, because obviously they're that's a little bit of a squishy term in this universe, but, right. but I think that I think the half demons are their term is like Cambian, you know, if you were the, ah. the sired from a demon and a, and a human. Yes, you're right. You're right. Hmm. I, I was like, it's human nature. We've got a word for it. I just can't think of it right now. So, well, I think <laughs> it's human nature. We've got a rule thirty-four for it. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's not. You know, that's a different podcast. So, uh, so I'm just running down the scions we've met in the series so far. I'm coming up with, you know, theoretically, Kincaid Goodman Gray is a confirmed scion. Right. Yeah. But Kincaid always said when he was asked, you know what are you? Or when Harry asks, what are you? And he says, I'm as human as you are. Mm-hmm. Which always so, seemed more um, like Harry isn't as human as he thinks he is. But Well, it's, a, it's a, I, I mean, every time this comes up, I'm like, it's just a matter of, you know, a rose by any other name, you're capable of doing exactly the same thing as I am. You know, call yourself what you want, but... <laughs> Or Kincaid could be referring to the whole Starborn thing. You're human, but you have this mm-hmm. plus one attribute. You've got a buff from birth. Right. I mean, theoretically, you could have even counted Wizard in that. And let's face it, he's he's got the plus yeah. one right there. Yeah. True. But I can't think of many other Scions that we've seen, or none are springing to mind. Well, I mean, most of them have been changelings, you know, Sarissa and, and Fix oh. and Lily and all them. Irving. Irwin? Irwin. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I was just looking at that, too. Like, there's a, you know, the, the wiki is hit and miss, but it's got a list of, like, Scions and where we've seen them and that sort of thing. But, well, Mark, yeah. so. I think Mr. is a Malk Scion. But. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. is exactly who he is. Yeah. And obstinate. <laughs> more. And nothing more. Mister's actually the Nephilim. There we go. Mystery solved. <laughs> I like it. Nice. Yeah. Right. So yeah. there's angels that are furries. Wait. <laughs> Listen, they don't have a gender. They also don't have a species. They are whatever they feel like being. Yeah. So, like, you're gonna tell me that there isn't like a clique of angels on the high level that, are, like, if you slum it out with a human, that you're not considered a furry anyway. So, like, let's just. <laughs> You know, they're such Ooh. a higher level creature. Like even, even just coming down to our level is gross to them. I, you, I'd imagine. You went you went down to that rock and played with the apes. Right? Yeah, did you catch anything, you weirdo? Like so <laughs> now there's all little half things running around. Like, yeah, I caught want. free I caught free will. Oh, burn it with fire. <laughs> right. Some other little tidbits that I thought were interesting. Um, we will find out who told Harry to piss off on Demon Reach. I don't think they said when. I would like to know when we get to find this out. That's, that's got to be I did that it. level. <laughs> right. E.G. is the British kid <laughs> trapped in a gem. <laughs> he knows He knows what he did. He deserves to be there. So. <laughs> I mean, I got to be honest. Stasis on Demon Reach would probably be not the worst fate to have for me. 
depends if the other I guess the other inhabitants don't get to they don't get to like you know it cause their influence on other inhabitants right like Thomas for right. example well, he, yeah he's yeah he, he segregates him from anyone else who's not in yeah. contemplation who's not in <sighs> contemplation yeah, I, be- I believe he specifically was like he can. He, none of the other people can talk to him unless they're going through the same specific thing. I, I believe was the yeah, wording of it. That's what I remember. Because I don't know. I don't know that he can put you in "quote unquote" solitary. Um, but I guess having them grouped by their their circles of hell, so to speak, makes sense. Well, Harry hasn't even done an inventory. He doesn't want to expose himself to every one of them to do an. Would in- you? No, <laughs> that's, a, that's a pass for me, though. I'm just saying that's probably the smartest thing he's done in relation to the island so far. I don't, I don't need them demon cooties. <laughs> no, he knows enough to know he's got a titan down there, and whether or not that makes it a mid-level prisoner or something closer to the <laughs> top end. Maybe just like just get a put a feeler out to like, to the demon reach spirit. Be like, so Alfred, this this titan here. Are we talking maximum security or where, where, yeah. where are we putting her? Oh, no, no, no. That's like, you know, right below the, the uh, Negloshi you saw, right? Yeah, we got them like, got like right next up from to that. That's definitely what I was thinking. We're like, you know how the Negloshi were the least? Yeah, she's just right above that. So, like, still. I, mean, I, I tend to think she's in the, in the upper third would be my guess. But uh, I, I, I would doubt the top. I, I don't think she's top dog in the yard down there anyway technically the negloshi are you know they're the top and you go down and you progress down that's worse right because it's underground you're very funny but very that's, that's that was very european of you good job so yeah so this is another episode of the rest of the files podcast yes <laughs> they're on floor minus one and she's on floor minus two so they're yeah, what is it in all those spy movies where they hold the button and they go down like an extra three floors that didn't even register? Well, that's how it is over at the Hyatt here, and it's very confusing. <laughs> well, maybe they shouldn't go exploring that basement then. I've already been there. <laughs> that's unfortunate. I was there like on day one. I had to find the room, and information couldn't tell me, so I had to go find it. Then I went back to the information desk and explained where it was. Yeah. Okay. Nerds helping nerds. Great. <laughs> right. right. One last question that seemed really interesting was that uh, can Harry make a shade of himself? And Jim seemed Why? interested. He, Why? He's already he done already it. did. Yes. No, already, know, that's... Not, only, not only did he already do it, he confirmed in i believe it was peace talks that that was his backup plan if something happens to him is that he would have shade dresden hanging around maggie yeah right. i guess like this if, this can is twice he redo over. what he did in grave peril to have a shade hanging around for fun i don't know <laughs> well i mean if he wants Look. to almost die sure i guess he could <laughs> As, as a high-level wizard, every high-level wizard should have a simulacrum, okay? But I'm just saying, like, yeah, no. I mean, he did it to he did it to Kravos, right? So he deliberately yeah, got he himself did it, killed. He did it with Kravos, and he said <laughs> this was his backup plan if anything happens. Well, you know, he told us, the reader, that in his head. So. Right. Because, yeah, he worked, he worked with... Um, Morty. Yes, Morty on it, so... Yeah. Hell of a will, like... 
I, someday I hope to be that badass and powerful that it's like, well, I've got this ectomancer lined up so that he can summon me and bind me to you, so <laughs> so that you'll be protected. Well, and then your kid's like, Dad, leave me alone. Jim also said that only you know people only with very pressing unfinished business or very strong wills leave a ghost behind. Oh, doesn't sound like Harry at all. But it was no. strong will, you say? <laughs> that can't be our boy. Well, well, Ed, he's got it. He's got both. He's got the strong will, and he's got the unfinished business of watching over his kid. Right. Yep. And he also mentioned, which uh, I'm sorry, I I will rage quit if this happens. He did it. Said he doesn't just know, and he said this before. He doesn't know if Harry survives. And if uh -huh. you drag me along for 25 books. And two anthologies, and you go out as an anti-hero, I'm going to rage quit and burn all my hard copies. <laughs> I be so careful. That means, your monkey's paw is going to curl, and that means mouse is going to bite the dust. <laughs> yeah, well. No, no, everybody no, always cares more about the dog. Me. So, yeah, no. I... I it's it's a it's a very standard trope, right? Where you know the hero makes the noble sacrifice, that sort of thing. Um, I it doesn't have to be though, right? Because Rashid was the fulcrum last time, so we've got precedence that whatever happens, no matter how bad it gets, it seems like there is a way out, right? But it's also a very hairy kind of thing to do. But it's one of those where it's like it wouldn't be my first choice, which is why I don't you know ascribe to that newsletter, but. Um, like, I, I have faith that Butcher's going to do it right when he does it, right? That's not how I would end the series, but I wouldn't be so mad about it that, you know, like, I just wouldn't be able to take the ending. Heartbreaking, heart-wrenching, all of those things, but, um, but yeah, so. Well, I mean, going, verging directly into fan theory land, um, Harry's associating with Odin, Odin, well, Batarung, uh, which I just had like a light bulb moment last week where I realized, oh, Batarung, father of us all. Right. One of the alternate titles for Odin. Seems obvious. I'm only 10 years late to the party. Um, <laughs> he's been associating with Odin. Odin is always had the role of being an instructor, a teacher of humanity. Uh, we know Rashid was the fulcrum last time that things got really bad, the last Starborn cycle. It cost, um, it cost, presumably it cost, uh, the gatekeeper and I. If Harry's the fulcrum this time and it's Ragnarok, Odin dies during Ragnarok, but even in the ancient Norse legends, the world continues. So there has to be another instructor that carries over. So Rashid caught, lost an eye, Harry loses an eye, Odin dies, Harry takes over as Odin. Hmm. Crazy fan theory, I know. I'm yeah. on for the ride anyway. It's not like I'm not going to buy the books. Right, right. Yeah. You know how, like, it is funny how, like, Drib very much, you know, he, 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 he writes to hurt Harry and by extension hurt us in, in many ways. So often when I feel like when I'm pre-ordering that next book on Audible, I'm like, yeah, damn you Jim, Jim, take my money. I'm I'm down. I'm going to be buying the books if he keeps writing them. Yep. About the foray into Cinder Spires. So 
because I can't get my regular abuse fix. I've got to go to alternate means. Yeah. Yeah, so just for us, it was fun. And with the second one coming out so soon uh, that, at least relative right now, then we'll be able to have a consistent schedule of it, hopefully. And it was really fun. And there's more cats. He theorized about going back into Alara. Yes. Generally, he talks about doing like another oh, curse. Oh, please don't. Class. Yeah. Well, you people, you just need to read it. I, I read the first book. I got started in the second book like four times. It's right. Power I, can, I, I can only speculate at what stories he'd have for like the next class or whatever. But, you know, I got to say a hook like, let's see what happens when the Protoss arrives. Sounds way more interesting to me than, you know, it, let's see what everybody's happen. kids are doing. So, you know. Boruto? No, you have to show the kids in the next class with all the different, uh, you know, the uh, sex having their own cursors. Yeah. And then the Protoss shows up and the kids have to deal with it. Right. Yeah, I mean, it, it depends, but I thought he talked about, like, the, you know, the Protoss would still be, like, another thousand years down the line or something like that. Like, it'd be way out there anyway, you know. So. I don't remember him putting a time frame on when, when the Protoss would be there, but everything is so jumbled that like that is still chaotic right there. And then having more monsters on top of it, that is why would you separate them out? He's going to just do everything all at once, and it's going to suck for everyone involved, and it's going to be fun. Right. One of my friends has a, a theory about writing that uh, good drama comes from bad decisions. A lot of the times, and yeah, I agree with that. I think that good drama, better drama, comes from people making the best decision they can with the information they have. And then other polities or factions making the same sort of decisions at cross purposes. So you get to see those conflicts. Yeah, there's certainly plenty to be said about, you know, flawed characters make more interesting storytelling and causing their own problems and that sort of thing. But yeah, like, I, I certainly like seeing just, you know, a lot of my heroes are just normal people that are dealt a shit sandwich, and they got to decide how best to handle handle it right you know like harry does cause several of his own problems but at the same time like you're gonna have situations where you know he made the right decision but there were no good options at the time you know so so the question i asked of jim was uh if uh the fae queen mantles must go to mortals and if those mantles change their dna and the answer was yes and yes. Nice. Well so done. that put to bed the theory that Leah could, could assume the fake queen. Mm -hmm. but, I mean, the queen mantle, unless some extraordinary circumstances where this does not exist, has to go to the lady, right? And then the lady mantle has to be bestowed upon a mortal. After right. the that, fact, that's the succession. But yeah. uh, if there's no suitable vessel near the available mantle, it goes to the senior, either the queen or the mother. So yeah. So if there, so so if say if there is 
let's say Molly is not a lady for some reason, like somehow she dies and the, the new lady mantle has not been, it's been sucked up into a map because there was, there was, she was closest, there was no empty vessel that was prepared, however the rules worked for that. If map then also then died, it would then go to the mother mm-hmm. and no, no matter where they are. And then the, the the big bang question is what what the fuck happens if somehow presumably there is a way that a mother can be out just like killed the vessel at least what happens to those all three mantles where do they go probably would force itself onto someone several someone's write that shit down because the next time we interview them we're asking that question I'm serious because that that's going to answer a whole lot of the nature about where the Fae came from and who's next up on the chain of command and shit like well, that. Right? That power's got to go someplace. Like, mm-hmm. so this morning, unless it's getting assumed by whoever killed, you know, you keep what you kill. So this morning, when I had Jim sign a book for me at his booth over in the vendors' hall, I mentioned my question, and he agreed wholeheartedly again that, oh yeah, the the power changes the vessel yeah and and then he appended unless they get out of the mantle before they change too much then they'll change back just real quick i'm putting two more marks in the ship of theseus column so because Mm, you know your your dna changes over time right so you're not necessarily the same person you were seven years ago whatever that sort of thing but then also you know if they escape it soon enough so molly is not in you know she's not locked in just yet but i mean she's i mean definitely sprinting down that direction so i think that's definitely i don't know when he decided molly was gonna be the winter lady uh but there was definitely some world building set up to to, to someone being the winter lady how they did with 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 summer and showed how she over what 10 years or so goes from looking less and less like herself and more and more like uh, what was her name? Aurora. How mm-hmm. how Aurora looked mm-hmm. uh, with this physical tr- change. So presumably, if we start seeing Molly physically look more like Maeve, Maeve, it's about it's you know we're running out of time. And I think I think he is probably said like it's intent as to that Molly's going to become herself like herself again. Well. We'll see. In in Battleground, there's a scene where Sarista joins the fight and is putting out a lot of power, and she looks like Molly. Right. Yeah, that's also that statue, right? Right. That there are these dualities, and they they look like each other. So it's very like I think that I think that there's definitely a lot of thought behind it from Jim, and there, he probably has some rules set up that we don't know, and we're very interesting to try and dig into into that and see like you know get a juicy morsel from him get that odin has uh has uh soul fire uh get it get that out of him for this right yeah and somebody asked if molly still has free will and he said yes because she is choosing to affect the world around her she's making choices that change things but so map can't make choices that change now. Them? Or maybe she is. Like map can it, map is doing as much as she can to manipulate the world around her. So 
I guess that would be an indication, in my opinion, that they all have free will still, with restrictions. But I mean, it is it is it is shown to us that at least for a moment, underneath it all, in a vulnerable, vulnerable moment, there is still quite a bit of there's still that mortal woman inside Mab somewhere. There is still more than just a mantle despite everything and how she mostly is just very inhuman. You know, there's like, I think that we have two moments where the definitely the, her, where we say the humanity of her comes through. There's right after Maeve dies and they have that conversation and where she has, she's like really vulnerable. And there is when the Titan makes her really pissed with taunting her with some of her more, let's say mortal insecurities that she used to have. Well, kind of still has. Yeah. I feel, I feel like that could have been a little bit of shadow boxing on Mab's part, though. I feel like she's definitely clever enough to be like, really? That's what you brought? Oh, darn, you've hurt my feelings. You know, okay. just, like... that, that's possible with the Titan. <laughs> the, the, other mo- yeah. the other moment I would say is, was definitely, for, for me, in my opinion, human vulnerability. Like, that was the human inside her coming through. And when, I'll point when out she... what... Go ahead. No, I, you, go ahead. So. Peace talks in Battleground are atypical. They both take place on the summer solstice. The hold of winter on the winter queens is as weak as it's going to be. Hmm. I'll also point out, too, with regard to Molly and the winter mantle, that every book Jim has shown us, gone out of his way, in fact, to show us that Molly is not human. She's using a cell phone in peace talk. She can't walk out of the circle. As a matter of fact, she can summon her. She pushes her finger against the circle and it deforms. Right. And then in battleground, when she's communicating with all the Fae, her eyes are Fae. Right. Well, I'm trying to remember if it was our speculation or if, or if, you know, we actually got it from an official source book or interview or whatever, but like, wasn't there some speculation on like what happens if Harry just, or no, I guess it's the same scene where Harry's like, I want to see if you can walk out of the, out of the circle. And she's like, yeah, but how much of me is left behind. And I think that goes into the ship of Theseus thing, right? Where it's just like, yes, Molly could walk out of there, but enough Molly is going to be left behind at this point like literally her DNA that she's going to come out looking like Swiss cheese at best, you know? So um, I, I think I, it all reinforces that in my opinion, it's, it, he just hasn't come out and said it. So I'm living, leaving people wiggle room if they don't agree, but I think he's all but confirmed. That's exactly what's happening, you know, with your questions. So, uh, and, and he's shown us, you know, he's given oh. us supporting evidence for that. So, and here we go. This time we're going nerdy into Star Trek. The movies, right? Right. Harry's choices are like a bad assassin. He, they keep missing the target. They keep re- rebounding and hitting the people around Harry. I mean, in small favor, he chooses to stay down and send Michael up, and Michael pays the price. You no, know, Molly pays the price. Yeah. What, what the people who should have been in, well, at least paid the price or been involved. I mean, Maggie stood to pay the price in changes, and Susan wound up dying so that Harry could save himself, save Maggie, and collaterally save Eben and uh, 
Thomas. Right. Yeah. So Butters didn't pay a choice, but boy, he made a, a leap of faith. And, uh, well, Thomas, I don't know that Justine was uh, infected intentionally because of anything Harry did. That remains to be seen. But if we're going to see Thomas again, and we're going to get the whole story. Well, right now, the only way we can get the whole story about how Thomas was manipulated into uh, the assassination attempt. Right. Is if they, if, if Harry and Lara find Justine. Well, or if they bring Thomas out and his mind's mm -hmm. somehow intact, you know. So, yeah, I, I think, I think the opportunity is there, but. Yeah, I mean, it's Justine was probably infected because of her position. Close to Harry, Harry's wow. brother, the white court, you know, all that, like, she's just prime position to to exploit. Yeah, I feel like the, the Harry Thomas angle, though, would have been, like, a happy bonus. I think mm. the angle was definitely getting her close to Lara, you know, because a lot of what we've seen Nemesis do has been geared at the leaders of other factions, right? So this is just how yeah, yeah, for sure. got in with you know, how you know, got in with the white If court. you work on the, the theory that, you know, there are limits to Nemesis infections, how many they, they, they can control at a time, if it's, I think it's more than one. I get the impression that it's more than one. Right. Uh, the, you know, you know, someone who gets the main thing done and has bonuses, you know, that's, that's, that's right. a good target. Well, that's that's been some of my favorite storytelling from Jim, you know, especially in regards with the villains is that, you know, even so like Mab especially, right? You see Mab and Nicodemus making decisions where it's like even if they lose, they come out with something. And that's the kind of thought that you get from a master level villain and an immortal, right? Where it's just like, yeah, okay, I'm going to risk it. Maybe I'm not going to get A, but I might get E. And that's going to be just fine, and it's going to carry me through. Not to mention the fact that they're going to be so busy with A, B, and C, they didn't even see me sneak off with E until after the fact, right? And I, mm -hmm. I feel like you get that, you know, maybe a little bit from Nemesis. You definitely have seen Mab and Nicodemus get it, where, like, Harry's so focused on whatever's right in front of him that he doesn't see everything else that's been going on. Um, and that's that's been really fun to see, for sure. Well, yep. I'm going to keep on buying. As a matter of fact, now that I've hit the end of Battleground, I have to go back and buy the audio books of you know all the novels. And mm -hmm. I mean, we got to end soon, but I got. I'm really curious. So this is your this is your first time listening to the audiobooks? It is. Uh, you like do you do you like them? I'm getting a different experience. I generally try to read them uh, if I have to go to one of our satellite offices for my day job. It's about a two and a half hour drive to most of them. So that's, I do that twice and I'm pretty well through a novel. Right. Yeah. I, as someone who's basically only, except for the preview, we had, we got the, I've only ever listened to the books. Uh, and, you know, for me, like, they're very, like, um, James is very interwoven with my Dresden Files experience. Mm. Uh, so, and I, I mean, for me, they're, they're very, they're audiobooks. They're some of the best. 
for me. But I don't know how many other audiobooks you listen to. Um, I've listened to uh, the, the first audiobook I ever listened to was uh, Larry Correa's uh, Tom Stranger books, which uh, Tom Stranger, The Adventures of the Interdimensional Insurance Agent, which was narrated by Adam Baldwin, and he was hysterical. But uh, Marsters does a better range of voices. Gotta be since you started with like late and you're going back. Just be prepared. He, he grows as a narrator. This is the at the start. That's the first time he ever does audiobooks. I've always thought it might that be a little jarring. I've always thought that audiobooks should be done with a cast, like a radio play. But I can see from a cost containment uh, angle where you won't pay one person instead of a cast of dozens. There is a uh, company uh, that does that, like does full cast and like graphic audio. You might want to check if they made any books you like. They do full cast and like some sound effects and stuff if you're into that. All right. We are basically at the end of our time for today. And we want to let Ray go back to the convention that he's paying uh, quite a lot to be there for. <laughs> Thank you for taking the time to join us. Very impromptu, um, but this was fun. This was a lot of fun. Thank you for having me. And uh, I will try and get a transcript up of the audio files, and I'll try and get the audio file itself up, and you can listen to it. And, uh, you know, ideate your own crazy fan theories, just like I've been busy doing. <laughs> That'd be great. Thanks okay. so much. Thank you. Nice meeting everybody. Nice to meet you too.